In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, for uh, the next three Sundays, we are unpacking our schematic for what I'm calling the bark of St. Bartholomew's. A bark is a, a ship with three masts down the center line, and each week, for the next three weeks, we'll look at one sail. Um, the three sails on our ship will be the things that we will work hard to do well. They are evangelism, serving the poor, and worship. And then the mast for each of those sails is Christian formation. The hull that keeps all the cargo and the crew safe inside is our beloved community here at St. B's. So in, in last week's homily, I began a uh, conversation about that vision, the shape of life that I be- believe God's calling us to uh, in the wake of all of the turmoil or in the middle of all the turmoil that is 2020. And so today is the first of three Sundays when we will unpack that vision to give just a little bit more clarity, a little bit more uh, detail. And each of these homilies uh, is necessarily, I'll, I'll give you the heads up going in, it's a little bit longer than I typically preach. Um, it's also kind of a helicopter view, sort of a 30,000 foot, I don't even know how high helicopters go, but it's a, like a, you go up high and you look so you can cover a lot of ground. So we don't get into as much particularity as I'd like, uh, but I do hope that in the months and uh, weeks to come we'll have opportunity in small groups and in classes Uh, and in reading books together, other things to drill further down. But just for the next few minutes, let's look at the first sail on the bark of St. Bartholomew, which is evangelism. And it is not lost on me that the word evangelism is troubling to some of us. It's a loaded word in our community because of the way that some of us grew up, the way I grew up. I grew up with kind of a twisted uh, vision of of evangelism. Last week, uh, one person told me that uh, when he hears the word evangelism, it reminds him of being a a kid on on the playground at school and kind of scanning all of the classmates, all the other little playmates, and figuring out which ones of those were destined for hell and then feeling the incredible weight of the responsibility to, to get them saved. And you may remember that too. And maybe why you came to the Episcopal Church. Because you thought that no one here would ever talk about evangelism. <laughs> Episcopalians are much more comfortable with uh, evangelism as, as a man named Stephen Bonzi describes it. This is from a shy person's guide to the practice of evangelism. He says, let's pretend that you are someone who might be willing, in theory, at some point, possibly, to consider maybe doing something that, while not evangelism-type evangelism, still could be in some way construed as sort of sharing of hope. Kind of. The word evangelism is a loaded word. It triggers some of us because of the churches where we came of age. Some of us find it 
uncouth, it's appalling, just bad manners to talk about religion in public. But what I want to do in the next season of life at St. B's is be able to try and rehabilitate the word evangelism, because it come, the, the word evangel simply means gospel. It means good news. It's a beautiful word. So, I want to think of this sermon as um, the sermon about evangelism as a diptych. Uh, do you know a diptych? A diptych is like an icon or two, photo, two pictures that are bound together by a hinge, sort of two panels, and then they can open and close. So this sermon has two panels, and the first panel is what evangelism is not. What evangelism is not. And we can make as many points here as we have uh, stories about evangelism gone wrong in our individual histories, but we only have time for three. So three things that evangelism is not. First of all, evangelism is not bullying. It's not bullying. In uh, 2019, the Barna Group released a report that said that 47% of millennials believe that it is wrong to share their personal belief with someone from another faith in the hope that that person may someday share those beliefs. Half, almost half of millennials think that is inherently wrong. Now, why is that? Well, I think um, it's partly because evangelism can feel like spiritual bullying. Uh, It can be manipulative, feel like bullying. And if there's anything that kids in our culture have been trained to believe it's wrong, well, two things, tobacco and bullying. Either one of those are just inherently bad. So if evangelism seems like it's bullying, arm-twisting, there's nothing more taboo in our culture because of the way we've been catechized, the way we've been taught by school and by the culture. But spiritual bullying is not what I mean by evangelism. In fact, it's closer to a different word, the word proselytism. Just go home today and Google, or if you're at home right now, don't do it while I'm preaching, but later on, uh, Google evangelism versus proselytism, and you'll see what I, what I mean. But here's the way that one person uh, distinguishes between the two. Evangelism goes out to others and listens to them. Proselytism excludes others and simply talks at them. Evangelism is a proclamation of Jesus, allowing people to have an encounter with Christ. Proselytism is proud and convinced that it has all the answers. Evangelism trusts in the Holy Spirit as the true evangelist, the one who makes converts. Proselytism believes it's up to us, to the force of our arguments and their persuasive power, You could say that evangelism is about trust and proselytism is all about fear. Trust versus fear. Evangelism is not bullying. It's also, second point is, it is not social work or it's not just social work. Working for justice is good. That is our, it's our second sale. 
We're going to spend all of next week talking about justice and mercy. We're going to work incredibly hard at that. But justice alone is not evangelism. Uh, Kevin Shrum is a, a, is a pastor and he writes for the Christian Post. And he said that social justice, food in a hungry belly, a jacket on the back of a homeless man, does not prepare that soul for eternity. Good deeds complement the gospel enterprise. They do not replace it. Good deeds complement the gospel enterprise. They don't replace it. So we will work as hard as we can for justice, but we will do it because of the gospel. And when you give someone a cup of cold water in Jesus' name and you tell them why you're doing it, that becomes evangelism. So evangelism is not bullying. It's not just bare social work. Um, Finally, evangelism is not moralistic superiority. It's not superiority. Remember the, um, the, the song, the, I guess it's from the 60s, the praise song? They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Sadly, a lot of the world does not know us by our love. Our neighbors find Christians, a lot of them feel, find that we are morally superior And that's why it's so much fun for them when a Jerry Falwell Jr. is caught in moral failure or when uh, this viral video, uh, the video went viral this week of uh, of Eric Metaxas punching a guy on a bicycle outside of an event at the White House. But we are not morally superior. Just because we're Christians, we are not superior to anyone, morally or otherwise. And that's why we build into our worship every single week confession of our sin. It's a part of how we enter into relationship with God. Uh, Jen Pollock-Michael is a, uh, a Christian writer, and in an article called The Myth of Moral Superiority, she said, confession in the middle of church is one way that we learn to think rightly of ourselves. We don't have to be better than our non-Christian neighbors and and friends and family, friends and colleagues. We are just the forgiven. We confess our sin because in good conscience we know that we are capable of doing great evil. Confession as a gospel act reminds us that Christianity is not an improved upon morality to peddle but a call to follow Jesus of Nazareth. Christianity is not an improved upon morality to peddle. It is a call to follow Jesus. And the evangelism that we will practice, the call that we will issue, will not be any of those things. It won't be spiritual bullying and arm twisting. It will not be just bare social work, which this morning it occurred to me that that sounds like social work done for bears, but I just mean it without any words around it. But it will also not be moralistic superiority. That is not what evangelism is. This homily would not be complete without the other part of our diptych, the other panel. And the other panel is what evangelism, in fact, is. And again, I want to do three, just three quick hits. 
Uh, each one of these start with P, and they all have a Greek word uh, that goes along with it because that's how I roll. All right, number one, evangelism is proclamation. It's proclamation. And the word that I'm reaching for, the Greek word, is kerygma. It's an unfamiliar word. Uh, the, the word charyx kind of sounds the same. A charyx is, is a herald, almost like an angel that comes bringing a message, an announcement of good news. And kerygma can mean preaching, which is what I, I think, I hope, what I hope I'm doing up here. But it also, kerygma also means the initial and essential proclamation of the content of the gospel the details of the story. It is the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus, the, necessary, uh, the necessity of repentance, and the promise of forgiveness of sin. That is the kerygma. Um, back in 1990, in an encyclical, Pope John Paul said that we have to tell this whole story. We have to tell the, each of the parts. He says proclamation, kerygma, is the permanent priority of mission. The church cannot elude Christ's explicit mandate nor deprive men and women of the good news about their being loved and saved by God. We cannot deprive people of the content of that message. And if the Pope is too Catholic for you, then how about Penn Jillette? Do you know who Penn Jillette is? So Penn Jillette is, uh, he's a uh, magician. He's half of um, Penn and Teller, you know, the, the, the duo of like comedians and, and magicians. And Gillette is the tall one that talks. Um, he's also a devout atheist, does not believe in God. But he gave a quote uh, that was in an article uh, in the Atlantic a few years ago, and he says this, he says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize, or we, could, we would use the word evangelism. I don't respect people who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that. The gospel, I mean, evangelism is proclamation. It's telling the story. But point two, evangelism is also presence. And this word is martyria. It's where we get the word martyr or witness. And what I mean by this in this context is evangelism is presence. Evangelism means showing up. You have to be in the lives of your neighbors. You can't share the good news with people if you are not connected to them. If you don't understand them, if you don't love them, if you're not a part of their lives, if you're disconnected and uh, atomized in your life and not connected to them, then it's really difficult to, to share anything with them because you're not present. So David Fitch is... Um, the Linder Chair of Evangelical Theology at Northern Seminary. And he was writing an article about uh, evangelism, and he said that evangelism is different now. 
It's different in a post-Christian age when we don't share the same assumptions that we once did with all the people across, uh, across society. He says, now evangelism must take place in the actual presence of someone. By presence of someone, I mean a space must be cultivated between myself and someone. Just cultivate. You have to plant it. You have to nurture it like a garden. And out of this space comes the moment in which I must proclaim the gospel in response to the situation demanding it. It is a posture of pointing to another reality that is not yet seen by the other person. It is witness to an alternative story, another world, the world as it is under Jesus Christ as Lord. And it requires presence. It means that we are, Leslie Newbegin talks about evangelism as coming alongside someone and just winsibly saying, I see the world like this. Step over here, stand by me, and look and see if it looks the same way to you as it does to me. It's proclaiming an a different alternative story, a reading of the world, and we have to be present to do that. Then finally, evangelism is proclamation, it's presence, and lastly, it is, maybe this is the hard part for people to get over, it is persuasion. Persuasion, the, uh, the Greek word is patho, where we get pathos, which is appealing to the emotions in rhetoric. It's making an argument. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, St. Paul says that the work of an apostle is to persuade, it's to convince. If you were at St. Bartholomew's back in January when we hosted uh, Diocesan Convention, you may remember that um, our keynote speaker was a woman named Carrie Headington. Uh, she, is the, uh, she may have the best job title of all time. Uh, which is, she is the missioner for evangelism of the Diocese of, of, of Dallas. That's what she does. She thinks about evangelism all day. It's what she does for a living. And in an article that she wrote, she said that the church has to learn the habit of persuasion, of, of invitation, of making the ask. So Carrie says, evangelism is more than dialogue. It's more than being a friend, more than walking alongside someone in their spiritual journey. It's more than caring for the poor. It is all of that, but it's more. There must be a point where an invitation to follow Jesus must be made. The invitation is a joyous endeavor of inviting people to the banquet of Jesus Christ. It is offering the choice of life over death. It's simply making the ask. One last point. If evangelism is it's proclamation without bullying, if evangelism is presence in words that explain our deeds of justice and mercy, if evangelism is persuasion without being morally superior, then where do we get the power for that kind of work? Well, I have one last quote. This is a quote-heavy homily today. Uh, there's a guy named um, David Gortner 
who is a priest and professor of evangelism at Virginia Seminary where I did my Anglican studies. And uh, in an issue of the VTS journal that I read, <clears throat> Father Gortner said this about evangelism. It sounds a lot like what Carrie said at the beginning of her article. Evangelism is not only being present in the community. It's not only living a wholesome public life, engaging in vigorous social ministry, advertising attractive church events, offering warm hospitality and welcome, or attempting to recruit new church members from the communities. And then he says all of these activities are secondary to something much more fundamental. The joyful spiritual practice of naming the source, capital S, naming the source of our gratitude and wonder and bearing witness to that same source at work, already at work in the lives of others. True evangelism emerges from a practiced and habitual disposition of gratitude. True evangelism emerges from a practiced and habitual disposition of gratitude. That is the power for evangelism. So when we rehearse our story again at every worship service, the content of the gospel at every Eucharist, when we come and confess our sins in just a moment and then find ourselves surprised that we're still invited to the table regardless of who we are and what we've done again and again and again, when we go out into the world as grateful beggars telling other beggars where we find bread. That is winsome. That is beautiful. That is grateful evangelism. And it is our first sale, and today it's your invitation. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.